Welcome to the Steadfast Carlsbad podcast. This morning's message was taken out of our 10 a.m. service. Let's jump right in, and we hope you're encouraged. Thanks for tuning in. My brethren, do not hold the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, with partiality. For there should come into your assembly a man with gold rings in fine apparel, and there should also come in a poor man in filthy clothes. And you pay attention to the one wearing the fine clothes and say to him, you sit here in a good place and say to the poor man, you stand there or sit here at my footstool. Have you not shown partiality among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my beloved brethren, has God not chosen the poor of this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor man. Do not the rich oppress you and drag you into the courts? Do they not blaspheme that noble name by which you are called? If you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you do well. But if you show partiality and you commit sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors, for whoever shall keep the whole law and yet stumbles in one point, he is guilty of all. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. Now, if you do not commit adultery, but you do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. So speak and so do as those who will be judged by the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your, your word um, that it convicts us. It uh, challenges us at core levels uh, to bias and, and um, uh, partiality that we can easily just either neglect or rationalize as totally okay. Um, but Lord, you, you want us to live life in freedom, not in bondage to sin and to the effects of sin, which is death. But you want us to live in life and light as ambassadors, as disciples, as those who are part of something different, that, that, do, that we don't just go with the current. We don't just go with the flow. But we are uh, constantly um, confronted by your truth. And so, Lord, we pray you give us eyes to see what you want us to see, ears to hear what you want us to hear, that you'd pour out your Holy Spirit. Our hearts would be soft and receptive and uh, that we would be what we're supposed to be for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, you guys may be seated. Um, super quick recap. James, the half-brother of Jesus, is writing this. is one of the earliest epistles, um, if not the earliest. Um, writing it to the 12 tribes scattered abroad, a majority Jewish uh, audience. And um, he's emphasizing faith in action. A real faith will take action. Real allegiance will lead to you doing something, to you being under submission of, of, of one, the one you say you're under. And so we're looking at faith in action and how that plays out in some really practical ways. It's a book of wisdom. Again, there's a lot of Proverbs type stuff in it. There's also a lot of Sermon in the Mount uh, type stuff in, in the book and um, kingdom philosophy stuff, stuff that's countercultural. Also, James, remember James was about what he said he was about. This church was under heavy persecution. That's why they were scattered abroad. And he was, uh, as tradition tells us, martyred by being thrown off the top of the temple and then not dying and then killing him because he, was, he just kept praying for them to receive, kind of like Stephen, kind of like Jesus. Lord, forgive him. Uh, so he died a martyr's death, looking much like Christ, following him even into that. So real deal stuff. Um, that's why we've called the, entitled the series Tried and True. And so the message this morning is titled Against the Current. Starting in verse 1, My brethren, do not hold the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, with partiality. Uh, brethren, again, we're speaking to brothers and sisters in the Lord, not those on the outside. This message is for them, which is really important when we read the Bible. Uh, the, ver the best you thing we can understand is how the, the, the message conveys to the people it was written to. That's going to make the most sense. And so that's going to actually be important in this message today because what they're talking about 
obviously is an issue now, but it was really an issue then. With the class system, the way it was, it was, it was a big deal. Um, but so understanding it in that context, but also under, understanding it in our own, right? Do not hold the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, with partiality. So don't wear or grip this faith. Don't like that, don't let this, don't grip onto something that it isn't with partiality, that we would do it with partiality. It's also important to note, he says, Lord. Um, the idea of Lord is a master, right? The one who you say is above me. Um, Jesus is our savior and he's our Lord. Where the, and that is really what James is about. You say that you, you have a savior, great, uh, but he's also your Lord. So you understand that as, as we believe in the things that he says, we also put ourselves under submission to saying, you're in charge. That's the body of Christ. Jesus is the head. We're all members of the body. You're in charge. You're above. We're all in submission to you. And as we do that, we are effective. We're fulfilled. <laughs> we find purpose and meaning in life. And our witness is, is effective, right? It's good. It's, it's useful. So we align our lives with him. Um, you know, that's, that's the most important thing um, that the God of the universe knows. And so we're not going to try and fix what he says. We know what he says. It's better to just trust him. So we're aligning our lives with him. Um, if we're Lord, it's important to understand one of the biggest battles is not going to be another God, but it's going to be yourself. Um, and, and that's the idea what sin comes in. When I'm Lord, when I think I know best, I will be the one that makes the decisions. And again, back to Genesis 3, that's what Eve did. I, I think I know better. I think I have a better idea. Now I'm Lord, and so, I'm, so you can't serve two masters. They're going to pit themselves against each other. Matthew 6, 24, again, Sermon on the Mount. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Um, the idea is you can't have two masters. One of them will be higher, and the other one will eventually be despised because of that. So when he's, and what mammon is, is wealth or riches, which is exactly what we're talking about in this section. All right. So this is what partiality looks like. So because of the Lord, we, we have the Lord Jesus, we don't want to hold our faith with partiality. This is what partiality looks like. For if there's someone should come in to your assembly, a man, for if there should come into your assembly, a man with gold rings and fine apparel, and there should also come in a poor man in filthy clothes. You pay attention to the one wearing the fine clothes and say to him, you sit here in a good place. And you say to the poor man, you stand there, sit at my footstool. Have you not shown partiality among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? If someone who embodies all the signs and symbols of worldly success comes in, that's the idea of, of this rich. Uh, rings were a sign of wealth. And it was like a big thing, you know, rings, rings were before rims. Uh, you good. Okay. All right. You got it. Okay. Uh, but like rings were a sign of wealth. Uh, it, it's actually was believed that there were shops where you could rent rings, like rent a ring. So you could show up and maybe you go, you went to your, you know, the Jerusalem high, uh, you know, 20 year reunion and, you know, you've been hanging out in, you know, uh, in Egypt, people don't really know what's been going on, but you're going to show up. And so you go to the Rent-A-Ring Center, right? It, Seneca, who was a Roman philosopher, said, we adorn our rings with fingers, or sorry, our fingers with rings, a gem for each joint. So you, are you getting the picture here? This, it's like full on, you know, a ring everywhere. It's a little absurd, right? It's the sign of just like over the top. Everyone look at me. Check this out, you know, uh, which is funny. You rent the ring. You don't own it, you know, but whatever. Uh, and then it's it, so the word for fine apparel actually means shining or bright clothes. So what's the point? What is this person trying to do? They're trying to show everyone that they have a lot of money 
and that they're doing really, really well. They are, they are looking to be treated differently. They're hoping that you would see what they, how um, you know, wealthy they are, how well they've done with their life. So we often assume that all we can see is all there is to see, and, and the point is it's not. Looks can be completely deceiving. Samuel made a similar mistake when he's looking for king, the king, right? First Samuel 16, verses 6 through 7, he's in the right house. This is David's house. So it was when they came, he looked at Eliab and said, surely the Lord's anointed is before him. So he looks at him, he says, this has got to be the king. What does that tell you about this guy? Probably looks like a stud. Probably looks like a king. He's like, I could see the crown fitting on that head. You know, he looks strong. He's got big shoulders. This is, this is, this is our guy. Behold, he's here. Well, here, what's the problem? Samuel's seeing with these eyes. And, and although God has been the one that has sent him on this journey and told him where to go, he has now taken what was a spiritual journey and made it a man-centered uh, decision. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not look at his appearance or at his physical stature because I have refused him. For the Lord does not see as man sees. For man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. God doesn't see like we see. And the closer we are to the Lord, the more we're going to be able to see like differently. <laughs> the more we're going to be able to have the eyes of the Lord. Do you want that? Because this is, there's more gain than just being like, okay, well, cool, I see value in that, or okay, or whatever, or oh, I have a little different view about this. Once you start seeing things the way the Lord sees things, one, you start becoming an advocate for people who feel like they're on the outside, which is many people. You know how many people think they can't come to church? They don't think that they belong. They don't think they're good enough. They think there's no mercy for them. Well, we're the ones that are saying, no, that's absolutely not true. There's mercy for you. There's hope for you. Like God has a plan to like change your life. He wants to change your life. He wants to take hold and become Lord and build something beautiful, even if all you have is ashes. It also keeps us from being tricked and deceived by the world, by the things that look good. Sometimes you like listen to politicians, and if you're not really listening to what they say, you're like, wow, they are good speakers. You're like, man, that was smooth. You didn't say anything, but it sounded so good. <laughs> and people are deceived, aren't they? We get to have a different kind of eyes. How? Through the Lord working in us, through the Holy Spirit, through wisdom. But we have to make a decision, conscious decision, to not just look at what is visible, but to say, God, what do you value? What do you see? I see the way the current's going. I don't want to do that. So what's the contrast? This guy in his bright, shining clothes, with his rings, and all of his affluence to let everybody know. The, the, issue, the issue actually here is not necessarily riches. It's the trust in riches. And it's the, uh, um, cod like the coddling of the riches. And it's about status. So here's the contrast. The poor or the dirty man... All the signs of poverty, the bottom of the barrel, lowest class. The rich man is, as we might predict, if we're thinking through a worldly mindset, treated with honor, given warm hospitality, given a seat and a position of honor in the room. This guy, they probably look at him going like, this guy can make an impact. This guy financially and because of his status the church does this a lot as a whole. Why? Because watch, every time a celebrity gets saved, they either like promote them to like speaking at the next giant event or they hate them. You know, it's usually one or the other. It's like, um, could we just like let them grow a little? Could we, could I, we were talking about this in our home group actually on Monday. We're like, you know, what do you think what should happen? Someone becomes, because there's, there's multiple people who are in the public limelight that a lot of them are coming to faith in Jesus, really interesting. Uh, and of course, it's the natural, you know, let's propel them, let's get them out there, let's get them speaking, let them become the mouthpiece. And you're going like, I, my thought is, absolutely not. <laughs> this is like uh, the Apostle Paul 
dude, that guy is going to be a firecracker, but he needs like three years of training and discipleship and humility. Hang out. Just chill out. You need to talk about the faith that's, that you have, but let's not get up and become a novice and given a platform, right? Those who've been given positions of uh, you know, leadership, not a novice. That's really important. Because you don't really know what you're looking at. So this person of influence, this person who you think might be able to, you know, this guy's going to hook us up. He's going to be, he's going to be our new, you know, spokesperson. Every picture that we take for the website, he's going to be there. You want to be part of our church, you could look like this guy. And he's just like, what's up? Like Tom Brady, you know. Uh, he's won a lot of Super Bowls. Anyway. But the poor and the dirty man is treated like an outsider, like he's just lucky to be there. You can either, instead of being given a seat in a place, position of honor, where everyone's like, it's like, you could either like stand or you could sit at my feet. The result is you've shown partiality. And the word partiality means waver or doubt. You've played the hypocrite. You have, your actions have not aligned with what you say you believed. You've judged with your eyes and decided what was, was and wasn't worthy of acceptance. You are now your own God. This is the importance of understanding partiality. Like, we do this a lot. This guy deserves grace. That guy doesn't. This girl deserves grace. That girl doesn't. And God's like, excuse me? <laughs> like, do you really? Do you know? You've become judge. You're now the administrator of justice. You're making the decisions. Jail for you, you know. No soup for you, one year, whatever, you know, like that sort of thing. Okay. You become judge. You're now administrating justice. You're the one who decides value based off flawed analysis. It's wildly destructive, and it's incredibly subtle. Partiality is so incredibly subtle. This is a convicting message to study all week. And it's like each word gets worse than the one before. Because you realize how much partiality is in you. And then how is it flawed? Why? Because you judge with evil thoughts. Or here's, here's a better break or another breakdown of the Greek. Wicked reasoning or argumentation. You are seeing with, you have wicked logic going on. Your logic is based off wicked principles. So it makes sense if you're wicked or if you're judging off of a wicked standpoint. And this is a universal issue of humanity, but it was seriously active in this Greco-Roman world. And the church is called to be different. That's what's so cool is this. What James is calling these believers to do is nowhere to be found in the world they're living in. And you, you know what? We've got to understand that like God is not calling us to just blend in. We are called to be completely against the current in many, many ways. I don't think it means we're not supposed to be in the culture. I think it's, we are, it's actually more visible when you are in the culture, in, I mean, in the world and in, the, in society, not falling along with it, but involved. This would have been shocking because it had become so the norm. How many things are there in our lives that we just have become normal that are so anti, anti-Christian at their root? Lord, convict us, show us. By the way, the real solution is not to re treat the rich person like the poor person. <laughs> the solution is actually to treat the poor person like the rich person to actually value everyone that comes in and give them a place or a seat or a position, not a position to speak, but like, hey, value, like, because you just don't know. Value the kingdom rich like you would the worldly rich. Those who are rich in kingdom fruits like you would those who look good and have all the stuff. By the way, there are, this is, being, being poor does not make you a believer. And being rich doesn't mean you can't absolutely be an advocate for the greatest things in the kingdom. The idea is the love of money and the partiality of, of 
the way we see people. That's really it. That's the biggest thing. So we speak and affirm value to those who felt like they were nothing. Imagine that poor man comes in. He's been spit on by society. It's completely normal. He's actually used to it. He doesn't even feel bad that he shows up like that. But imagine you come into a place where it's not even in your, it's not even in your mind that this could be a possibility, and you're brought in and you're given a good seat, and you're given good food, and you're valued. How shocking would that be? That's kind of the point. Jesus did this, by the way, a lot. He was criticized for eating with tax collectors and sinners. Zacchaeus, hey, man, I'm coming to your house for for lunch, by the way. He's like, what? Okay. Goes and hangs out. Mary Magdalene, probably a prostitute. Woman at the well, right, where she's, she's got all these husbands. The one she's with now is not. She's... Samaritan, and Jesus speaks and gives value and then opens up an opportunity. Come with me, I'll change your life. Like all that, I, I don't see like everyone else sees. I see you, and I see that there's purpose in you. I see you were created in the image of God for good things, and things get messed up, but let's come back. You don't have to stay here. And that's the beautiful message, especially the woman of the well. I see all your stuff. I see all your failures. I, see, I know all of it. I know more of it than you even know. And yet, I offer you a new life. Wow. Come with me. Come drink of this water. Verse 5, listen, my beloved brethren. God has not chosen the poor of this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom of God. Wait, God... Has God not chosen the poor of this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which he promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor man. Do not the rich oppress you and drag you into the courts? Do they not blaspheme that noble name by which you are called? He is often called the poor and despised. I mean, Jesus' disciples were like quite the crew. You know, when you're, when you're like trying to line up, who's going to be my people? These guys aren't them. They're just not them. The people that, that surrounded him said, I mean, that's why he got criticism. Like, look at your crew. Like, how, how are we supposed to even take you serious? Even Jesus himself, he, he lived a humble life so we can enjoy the riches of his grace for eternity. He humbled himself. 2 Corinthians 8, 9. For you know that the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that through, though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that through his poverty, he might become rich. Uh, I think that the poverty is, is his taking off the, the, you know, all the riches of being able to be in heaven and not having to do with, deal with any of this and, and, and be, making himself a man, coming in the form of a man. But also, he was straight up poor. Born to teenagers, we have actually a really interesting glimpse at this. Luke 2, uh, verses 22 through 24. Now when the days of her purification, this is Mary, according to the law of Moses, were, were completed, they brought him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. It's Jesus, as is written the law of the Lord. Every male who opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord, and to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord. A pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. So offering up pigeons or turtle doves. Well, what is the law? Leviticus 12.8. We get some cool insight here. And if she is not able to bring a lamb, she's supposed to bring a lamb. This is the woman. This is what Mary's doing. She, then she may bring two turtle doves or two young pigeons. One is a burnt offering and the other is a sin offering. So the priest shall make atonement for her and she'll be clean. You know what this is saying? If you can't afford a lamb, bring a couple birds for people who are poor. So it's, it's pretty obvious Mary's in that kind of a position. What's really interesting is they didn't need a lamb. Jesus was the lamb. We had, when we were a youth group uh, this past week, I was listening to the message. It was really cool. Taylor's been doing a series on going on, uh, like, the Bible. What is the Bible? This, this, the long story of the Bible, all the way through. How there's all these little markers and how they all work together. We've, we've talked about this. Um, 
quite a bit. He was, but he was referencing the story about Abraham uh, sacrificing Isaac. And he's like, the Lord's going to provide. The Lord's going to provide. And, and, and he's like, the Lord will provide himself a lamb. Right? That's the word, wording. And so he's about to kill Isaac, and all of a sudden, boom, the Lord stops him. And then there's a what caught in the thicket? Not a lamb, a ram. It was a ram caught in the thicket. Yes, the, the ram was acceptable for this sacrifice, but the Lord would provide himself a lamb. And what is the first thing John the Baptist said? I just read it in my reading this week. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. There's the lamb. So you don't need lamb, a lamb. He is the lamb. But it does show that he was poor, right? And I, why does this matter, right? Because he knew what it was like. He knew, he knew, he couldn't understand that. That's what we know. Jesus is this great high priest who experienced all the hardest of things so they could sympathize with us. There's definitely something about if you grew up without money, there's definitely something you know about pain that people and struggle that people who, who didn't, they just don't. And that's okay. It doesn't mean that you should go and try and like go into poverty for no reason, but there is something about that. There's a compassion. There's an empathy. There's, there's, so that even if you are able, the Lord blesses you, you become a generous person because you're like, I remember what it was like. I remember feeling like that. I, I, there's, there's a couple of videos you'll see, you can see these guys will go, hey, can I borrow a dollar? And I've mentioned this before, I know, but I just love, can I borrow a dollar? And they'll ask people that look like they got their stuff all together, like, absolutely not. Get a job, peasant. You know, not really. They don't say that, but like, and, and he's like, hey, man, I just need to go to the bus, you know? And then they'll, they'll find someone who, who looks like they're, they're really struggling themselves and they're coming out of the dollar store or whatever. And they're like, you know, here you go. Here's a dollar. I got a dollar for you. It's like, oh, are you sure? She's like, it seems like you need it more than me. I just saw one. And this lady, she doesn't have any teeth. She's, you know, she's struggling herself. She gives him a dollar. The guy turns around and gives her a thousand. She just starts bawling, and it's so wild to see, like, because it's like, I, like, why did you give me, and I'll often ask, why did you give me a dollar or five dollars or whatever, because I, knew what it, I know what it feels like to need five dollars. Like, for most of us, we don't even have that concept, you know? But Jesus, I think he, he lived that kind of life because he's a great high priest that went through all of it, and we can't belittle, I mean, he felt it all. So he can sympathize with those who feel like they're down and out, spiritually, economically. Jesus has in the past and will continue in the future to use the weak and the poor to exalt his greatness through the work of the gospel. He exalts, he strengthens, he comforts, he encourages, he brings hope beyond what earthly assurance can give. Because the idea is, this, this rich man is not just like someone with affluence. This is a, a person who is all about himself and thinks that he's good to go. He has all the assurance. I'm, I'm set. Nothing can, nothing can knock me off. I'm a king in this game. I'm above everybody else. And what Jesus shows is, I can give you an assurance and a confidence that even the rich man can't, can't give you. And what he's saying to his believers is, guys, don't trust him. Look at what I do. Look at what I can do. At the end of the day, we're all weak. We're all poor. That's really the thing is like when you, when you think that you've got it all, then you realize you really don't. Because if you start breaking it down, you're like, okay, so what happens if I like lose my ability to move? then you no longer have the ability to do the things you were doing before. What happens if I drop dead on the spot? None of this matters. We're all weak. We're all poor at the end of the day. And we have this gospel message that's given to us in 2 Corinthians 4, 7 through 10. We have this treasure in earthen vessels, jars of clay, that the excellence of the power may be of God and not of us. We're hard-pressed on every side, yet not crushed. We're perplexed, not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed always caring about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our body. He will exalt the humble. He will use the weak. 
those who are seemingly down and out, he can blow everyone's minds with what he can do. So don't look on the outward and think that you're going to find something different than what he's already said he's going to do. Don't follow the way the world thinks. God is, and this, the sad part is when the church gets into this. When we start think, we start like promoting these values and it happens really easily. And it's mostly, known, you know, like the, you know, name it, claim it, prosperity gospel. God wants you to have your best life now. You know, all you have to do is give a lot of money and then you'll get a lot in this sense, you know, it's like, So God has decided to use the humbled and the poor in spirit and those humbled and poor in possessions sometimes as those who will be blessed to come. A lot of the, one of the things that is beneficial if you've ever been broke is faith. I, I remember as a, as a, you know, right when I was out on my own, I remember just like having no money and just being like, how am I going to eat today? You know, like, like. I could go to my parents' house. It's not like I was like going to have to go to a soup kitchen. They'd feed me if I went home, but, you know, it's kind of like failure a little bit, right? Um, and all my Chef Boyardee ravioli cans are all eaten up, you know, because those were cheap. They were like a dollar a can or something or maybe less. I don't know. And I'd, so I'd, I, I would be like, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? All right, Lord, you know. And then oftentimes someone would be like, hey, let's go to, let's go to eat. It's on me. And you're like, oh, bro. <laughs> You don't even know, because, <laughs> like, I was about to, like, start scraping some pennies out, and we're going to Jack in the Box and getting some tacos and trying to sleep through this tummy ache I'm going to have, you know? But there's something about when you're in those positions that there's just, it's unbelievable. We, we've been in positions early, even in our marriage, where there's times where we're financially, man, we're just, you know, be, the jobs wouldn't work out or whatever, and, and you just go, Lord, I, I don't know what to do. I, I'm, I'm like, it's, I'm willing to work. I'm doing everything I can to do this. Um, but everything's seemingly failing. The bills keep coming in. It's extremely difficult. I don't know what to do. And then, boom, what happens? Out of nowhere. I, got, I, I could tell you probably like 15 stories about how God's done this in my life. Where all of a sudden, when you're, you're feeling like completely desperate, he meets you. Now, why does that happen? It doesn't have to be monetarily, though, either. Those who are in a position where you're just feeling like desperate, in desperation spiritually, someone's sick, someone's going through something, and God meets you in that place. Not that he always comes through and gives you a, I'm going to bless you a million fold. No, but he shows you he's there. These are experiences that, are only, uh, that only happen when you're in, in the battle, in the mix. So there's, there is an advantage in faith in those who are in that position. Now, that doesn't mean that even if you're doing well, that you don't have those seasons too. You do. Everyone does. But if you all look back at your life, there's those moments of unsure and God, I'm, this is a scary situation. And then God blesses and takes, opens it all up. Just being poor doesn't make you rich in faith. But those that choose to trust God in tough circumstances seem to receive exponential blessings and gains. There is something about that. Legitimate, you know what's beautiful is it's legitimate hope for those who have called to endure hardships in this life. Some people only have it hard in this life. There's a legitimate hope for the future. God sees, he cares, he knows, he won't forget. Press on, soldier. The Beatitudes, there's value beyond what is seen by the natural eye. There's a calling that is beyond what is seen by the natural eye. There's a reward for those who gave when they had little, lived well in sickness, treated people richly while living in poverty. We were in Eastern Europe, um, Albania, and we had this meal with a family, and that the part of the culture is they will keep feeding you and feeding you. And I didn't realize this, but you have to leave a little bit of food on the plate, which I've been told is rude. But if you, if you don't, they keep feeding you. So like if you eat it all, all of a sudden it's like, oh, you're done? Okay, 
let's kill another one. This guy's super hungry, and you're like, I am so stuffed right now, but I don't want to be rude, and so there's you know, a little bit of cultural issues there. But the idea is that in, their, in that culture, they, they, even though they're, most of them are really, really poor, part of their hospitality is, I'm just going to give to you no matter what. You're in my house. I, what's going to stop me from, I'm going to keep feeding you. And these are, these are believers, but it's, the culture's not a Christian culture. But there's something about the rewards for those who do those things. That's why even the widows might. It's like, God, he's going to look at all of our lives and he's going to say, what did you do with what I gave you to do? Right? Like, we're all called to run our own race at our own pace that he has set before us with things that he called us to do. And it's not going to be who did the greatest, biggest thing. And, oh, Billy Graham, welcome. You get the super big mansion. And then the, the poor guy who faithfully served the Lord and loved his family and provided, like, but never really made waves ever. Brother, you're going to be poor again here. No, it's like the rich in faith. Like you, you trusted God and honored him with what you had. So if, whether you have a lot, you trust him with that. If you have a little, you trust him with that. Believers are guilty of dishonoring or bringing extra shame on those. That's what they're saying here. You guys, if you don't do this, you're going to be guilty of actually making it worse for these people that already have a hard life. You're bringing shame on them, and they already get so much shame from the world around them. These poor, they were so despised, but the rich were known to oppress them. That's, that's why I don't even think these are these rich people. They're not believers, I don't think. I mean, maybe. I don't know. But these people are oppressing them through their means. Obviously, not everyone with means is oppressive towards people. But it does give you the ability to do that, right? With monetary power, with, you know, especially if they've made riches their God and their identity and have left a love for God or the people who are created in his image. The love of money is the root of all evil. If you love it, it will take over. That evil will grow. You will oppress. You will exploit. You will dominate. Because if it's your God, it's, gonna, it's hungry. It's a hungry God. Look at all those who, uh, you know, love money and status. What will they do? Anything. You know, it's, it's kind of crazy because the whole world of social media, people learn how to make a bunch of money off of uh, videos or whatever, and they'll do anything on them. You're like, you're ruining your reputation for the rest of your life. Well, who cares? I'm famous and I'm making money. And you're like, I think your character is more important than that. I think your reputation is more important than that. But if that's your God, then of course you're going to go and do that, right? It will, uh, so, yeah, look at what those who love money and status do. They abuse you with money and power and status your God. This is what you'll crave and you'll never satisfy the desire. That's the, that's the thing we have to understand is any other God is going to ask more from us than we can give and will never satisfy. That can only be found in Jesus. It'll turn you into a monster. We see this with people who have so much looking to take more. Why? Like you have, you're set. Like why do you need to take more from other people? Why do you have to like control everything? Well, a wound, a lack of legitimate calling and purpose, a peace that can't be found with having the whole world. Those who trust in riches see the peace of the poor. They actually could choose to try to take that too. It's like, I, I can't stand that you're happy still. Wild. Yeah, do you understand the monster that we're working with here, that we're dealing with here? He says, do they not drag you into the courts and defame your name? Uh, do they ruin your good name and your reputation? Do they use their resources to bury you if you cross them? It's not hap this happens, doesn't it? Verse 8, if you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You do well. 
But if you show partiality, you commit sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. If you really complete the law, this is part B of the most important law, the, you know, Jesus is called the greatest commandment, which is treating people well, loving people, loving your neighbor as yourself, you do well. This is, this is, again, treating everyone like the rich man. How can I bless you? How can I promote flourishing in your life? How could I encourage you? If you show partiality, you've broken the law and devalued believers. That's to be taken seriously. We miss the mark and we've sinned against God and man who was created in his image. Our calling and our witness are jeopardized. We lose the light of what we are supposed to represent. Instead of bringing hope, we bring desperation, pain, and more shame. Jesus died to take on the cross, to, on the cross to take on our shame and our guilt and our pain. So if anybody feels shame, guilt, pain for the past, God's looking to meet you. This place can't be a place where we heap more of it on. That's what James is saying. Guys, the 12 tribes scattered abroad, we have got to be different. I know you've been raised this way. I know you've heard it a million times this way. I know you think this way naturally. It's become a normal pattern of your brain. Stop. We're called to something way, way, way better. Verse 10, for whoever shall keep the whole law and yet stumble in one point, he is guilty of all. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. Now, if you do not commit adultery, but you do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. Obviously, we're inclined to amplify some sins over others and feel justified in doing so. Um, that's part of your use to it. Um, this is fine. This is, culturally acceptable is a good term. It's culturally acceptable to do this. You go, well, is, all things are beneficial in some sense, but like, are they, I mean, or useful or allowed, but are they beneficial? Or it might be legal, but is it good? These are questions we have to ask ourselves because you go, oh, it's legal now, so we can do whatever we want. You know, you're like, if, go to Amsterdam and say, it's all legal. Everything here is legal, which is literally, don't actually do that, right? But that's what people do. It's legal, so it's okay. You're like, you know, we appeal, we appeal to something much, much higher. So when we recognize our inconsistencies, we're convicted. We change our mind. We start seeing things differently. We're not justified by the law. Jesus fulfilled the law. But the weight of, the weight of sin is still serious. And we find ourselves actively against God in sin, missing the mark, going completely the, the opposite direction. Sin leads to death. Verse uh, thir uh, 12 and 13, last couple of verses here. So speak and so do as those who will be judged by the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. We're under the law of liberty, God's grace. Wow, amazing. We're all saved by grace and brought into this ridiculously benevolent, merciful life. We've been liberated from death. We've been freed from our sins and cleansed. We've been given a new future and a new hope. We're literally called born again. Do you feel like, I just want to completely start over. Born again. Um, I, I, do, I like doing art and stuff in the Photoshop, and now I'm kind of doing where I'm drawing it more. Um, and I, I've gotten used to the, like, on uh, the, the app I use, it's like a two-finger tap, and it, and it erases what you just did. You could keep doing it and erase, 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 erase. Um, I was drawing on paper the other day, <laughs> and I was tapping it. And I'm like, that's not erasing it, you know? <laughs> you draw a bad line, and you're like, not, I mean, I just did it once, not like, you're like, really, should you be up here if you kept tapping it? It was just once. But I, I had gotten used to like the, or if you do Photoshop, you know, you go back and you're, you know, you're you know, redo, undo, 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 undo. I'm getting used to that, hitting that Z button. And you go, man, that's, because it, it's, it's, no matter what you do, there's like a fresh start. There's something about it where you go, like, I, I can start over. I, I'm new. 
A lot of times we feel like we're so marked up and marred and, and everything's been done in permanent ink. That's why he's not saying, I'm just going to kind of like change. He's got, I'm going to make you new, like a new creation. Nicodemus, you got to be born again. You mean, I've been crucified with Christ. I died, and then I was risen again in him. Whoa. What? And we get to believe it, and we get to see it. But since we've been given such a beautiful, merciful gift, we'll be judged in our relationship with God and others. The way, we'll give account to the way we handle that. The witness of the church is at stake. We've got to take it seriously and rest in this merciful and gracious call of God what he's called us into. Uh, Spurgeon um, said this, mercy reigns in our salvation. Let it reign in our conduct towards others. And he said, to us, it is not sweet to take vengeance, but to grant forgiveness. We, we get, because we've received mercy, who's been forgiven much, forgives much. And there's a, like a misnomer that like maybe, oh, those people have been forgiven much, so they forgive much. I haven't been forgiven that much then you don't even know. <laughs> like, we have been forgiven of much, all of us. I don't care what your background is. Everyone has been forgiven of much. And so we forgive much. Because we are receiving mercy, we're giving mercy. And as we're doing this, we find so much joy living with one another. We, like, find so much joy being around one another. It's refreshing instead of a heavy burden and weight on you. It's refreshing and it's beautiful and it's light. And the witness is strong because the world doesn't do it. We need to remember how merciful God has been to us and respond with mercy, grace, and favor to those who are on the outside. To bring them in, not to wall them out. That's, that's the important, I think, we don't wall out, we, we bring in. Not building walls. You stay there. This is... This is a sacred space. It said actually John Wesley was having issues uh, with the church and because and it was it become like a thing where you could uh, even buy a pew, you know, like where every, you all sit in the same places. You know that? Did you know that? Actually, we talked about it at our home group. There was like, <laughs> Jacob said, hey, what would happen if we did like full shakeup? Like, or was it Jacob or was it? It was Jacob. Yeah, he's like, what if we just told everyone they had to sit somewhere else? I'm like, I'm not ready for that, man. We're, I don't know if we can handle it. You, you are over here. You are over there. I don't like it. You know, I don't like this, but people would literally like buy their spots in their pews, and you're like, oh, that is my seat. And John West is like, I'm over this. So what does he do? He goes to the coal miners. He starts preaching to them. And as the tradition goes, they have like their black, Faces from the coal have streaming down streams of white, hearing the good news of the gospel. A little while later, uh, dealing with the same kind of issues in the church, William Booth decides to set off and do something different. He's over it. What does he do? He sets up the Salvation Army. It's like this place has become way, way too sterile. And, it, and, and you guys love your, you know, little social club and whatever. And he's like, this Salvation Army, and have they been effective over the generations? Yes. We're freed from this world's standards. The church is we're this beautiful manifestation of different people with different gifts, with different social and economic statuses together, valuing, loving one another, and looking to bless where we can bless. So good. God, you've given me this part, and you've called me to do this thing. And in the end, it doesn't all have to equal out on this side of eternity. But in, in heaven, we're going to see. We're going to see what God valued, and we're going to see, what did you do with what I gave you to do? Because there's a judgment. Not a judgment, if you're a believer, not a judgment to where you go to heaven or hell, but there will be a judgment about what you did with what you were given. We're all weak. We're all poor. We're all under the death sentence of sin apart from Christ. Don't buy into the lies. See with new eyes. Don't buy into any of that. We're all together in this. We're all called to resist the current uh, of the world, like as we're going down the current, the flesh and the devil, and to establish our faith and actions and the radical countercultural way of Jesus.
to abide in him, to seek his values, to lay up for ourselves treasures in heaven. Whether you're a great success, I think, I think Christians were absolutely created to utilize their abilities and their minds and to, I think that's ruling and subduing, to do well. I don't think it's a good thing to just go, all right, this means everybody should just be, you know, kind of like lazy, lower, whatever. I think it's just saying, like, utilize what you've been given, but remember what you're living for, for eternity. So if you're successful, don't let that be your God. Do not let that be your God. If, and if it is, repent. <laughs> if you're poor, don't let that be your God either. Send it to the Lord. Come bring it back to the Lord. Lord, we want to honor you and follow you. You've been so merciful and gracious towards us. And you're the only one that can really sustain us. You're the only one that can really give us peace. Because no matter how well you're doing, you're only one phone call away from a really, really, really bad day. God is just right there waiting, saying, "I, I can hold all of it, all of it. I see it all. I know it all. And I'm in it all, and I'll work through it all and for your benefit. This is good news. This, is, this is, reminds us that, that we have such good news for the world around us. To have empathy and the care. Man, see, when you, whatever you see, you don't see. It's one of the things I notice again and again. When I get to know people, my first reactions or impressions are almost always wrong. You go, oh, they're probably like this. And you start talking and you're like, oh, you are complex. You have been through stuff or whatever. Or you're not nice. I don't know, whatever, you know. (laughs) Lord, help us to walk in that. Lord, we pray that you would um, help us not to trust in riches, but in the, you know, worldly riches or wealth, but to trust in uh, kingdom treasures that will last forever, that we would see all of our benefits on earth as opportunities to benefit our eternal, uh, you know, benefit eternal eternity and meeting people and helping people and encouraging one another and having empathy for one another and and seeing those that the world has cast off as useless or, um, you know, done, broken, whatever, and that we would see you do what you do and have done in so many of our lives. Transform us. Make us new. Vessels that are earthen and fragile in one sense, but also able to withstand all of the hardships of life because of the good news of the gospel and the promise of the Holy Spirit living inside of us. Thank you, Lord, that you're with us. You're nearer, uh, you're closer than a brother, and you care. We thank you for the, the good news of the gospel, that you sent your son to become poor, to take on all of the hardships of life. We have a high priest that cares and sympathizes and then died and rose again so that we have new life in Jesus. Thank you so much. Help us to abide in that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for tuning in. If you'd like to join us in person, head over to steadfastcarlsbad.com for more info. God bless.